Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are and that we are not alone. Join me in guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. And welcome back to another episode of Things Musicians Don't Talk About. Today I am going to be talking to the wonderful soprano Hannah Malkin about her upcoming CD launch, which is inspired by the issues, stigmas and the graces of motherhood. So we talk about Hannah's background and musical upbringing within a musical Jewish family, also how Hannah made the leap from student to professional, and how to find your place within the classical music profession if you feel you don't entirely fit. Um, So in addition to this, we talk about Hannah's journey to becoming a mother and the misconceptions that many performers hold about motherhood and how to navigate working alongside it. We talk about the act of physically letting go during performance and how the exhaustion that came from giving birth and the months afterwards and looking after a child actually led to lesser self-consciousness for Hannah when she was performing and we talk about how to bring this sense of letting go of self-consciousness letting go of anxiety whether or not you have a child but yeah how to find that within yourself Um, but I'm actually kind of struggling to round it up because we talked about so much Um, but stay tuned to hear about the release of Hannah's album on Friday the 7th of May which is this Friday um, if you're listening this week, <laughs> today is Monday. Um, and also we talk about how you can get involved with that. And Hannah's really keen to hear from lots of people, anybody that wants to um, share their, yeah, their story or talk about what they think about the album. So there's a discount code available to all my listeners. Um, if you want to purchase the album on Bandcamp, you can have 10% off by quoting the code musicians. I also just want to say another huge thank you to everybody who listens and supports the podcast. Every Sunday I get a lovely email telling me how many people have listened this week and I am just astounded every time about how many people have tuned in or downloaded um, because I've really felt my confidence with it has been waning a bit um, just because you know, it's never going to be easy to hold this kind of space and feel like I'm sharing people's stories in the most authentic way. I I hope I am, but, you know, I have so many doubts and kind of negative voices going on about how, you know, what I'm doing isn't perfect enough, (laughs) quite frankly. I really struggle with that, and I don't listen to myself back very often, but... um, yeah, quite often I'm like, oh gosh, why did you ask that question? Oh, you're not letting them speak enough, blah, blah. But what I do know is that this is an important space to have. And it's never going to be just about me. It's about talking to all of you and finding the issues that need to be spoken about. And I'm realising that we've only just scratched the surface the more I think about it, the more I talk to people. We have literally scratched the surface with this. There's so much more we can talk about. But what we've already done and who has already spoken have, you know, they've all changed me so much. And I really hope they resonated with you as well. So next week is actually Mental Health Awareness Week from the 10th of May. And I have a small project coming your way for that, which I really hope you will both enjoy and find helpful. Because I know that emerging from the months we've had, um, we've had this oversaturation of news and anxiety and, you know, grief. And it's just been a ride. (laughs) So I just feel like this Mental Health Awareness Week 
more than any other is important to pull the stops out and talk really and I'm really holding myself to talk about it as I would talk about a physical problem you know and I don't think it should be uncomfortable to talk about it you know like a physical like it's a physical problem um so that's kind of the way I'm going forward with it I'm not going to share too much about it but um it will be slightly nature themed which is the theme for this year's mental health awareness week but yes I just thought I'd let you know that that is going on and do stay tuned for that but anyway on to my conversation with Hannah and talking about classical music and motherhood but um first of all we're going to listen to Hannah this is a recording of Rocking the Child from Rocking the Cradle by Weinberg this is Hannah Malkin and Artem Belogurov. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Hi, Hattie. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm just so excited to talk to you about all things motherhood and also about your album, This Is Not A Lullaby, which is going to be released on Friday, the 7th of May. Excited to talk about that and everything that inspired it and all of your amazing life up till now as well. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm really excited to talk about it as well. And share some, uh, yeah, my experience about becoming a mother and being a performing musician. Yeah, because it's actually, I suppose, not really a side that I'd considered quite as much as I probably should have, actually, because it is something that's in the, the future of many people or is the reality of many, many musicians who have this kind of, you know, vocation to become, you know, a mother or even a, a parent in general, but also this huge kind of weight of like, what might this mean for my career? You know, what might this yeah. mean? How is this going to affect everyone in my life and me and my music and everything? So, right. And it's, yeah, we don't really talk about it. It's like this hidden thing that's like somewhere in the future, like when I'm ready, whenever yeah. that moment comes, which is probably never. It's so and, classic. And we, yeah. So many of us deal with it and then we just don't really talk about it. So well now we will you know, now we absolutely will so I would love before we go on to talk about your album and motherhood and everything could you first talk about your musical and personal background you know who who are you and where do you come from both personally and musically as well yeah so I I was born in a family of classical musicians um my dad is a violinist and a composer and my mother a pianist and they come from um uh, well, my father from Georgia and my mother Ukraine, so really former Soviet Union 
and they uh, met in Israel because we're a Jewish family and they, yeah, they met at the Israel Conservatory where they studied and then moved to the Netherlands. So um, I'm Dutch. I live, I was born and raised in Amsterdam, uh, but I also uh, Russian spoke Russian as my first language and um, have a lot of family spread out all over the world. And in terms of music, I actually was at least interested in classical music of my whole family. My brother was always really talented pianist and, you know, of course, my parents, professional musicians. And I was more into drawing or writing stories and painting and those kind of things. Uh, and of course, giving Spice Girls concerts in my <laughs> living room, like a girl growing up in the 90s. <laughs> so those are really my main interests. But then um, there were two pivotal moments that kind of made me realize how much I really loved performing. And the first one was uh, when I wrote a song, like just a singer, songwriter, pop song. And I sent it into a composition competition for young composers to be performed at the national New Year's concert in the uh, Royal Concertgebouw, so the major concert hall in Amsterdam uh, on national TV. And I won I, I was one of the winners, so I got to perform that song in front of two and a half thousand people and in front of you know a nationwide TV audience, uh, and that was on January first, two thousand. So I was ten, and that was just the most amazing experience. I just loved being on the stage and singing to these people, and you know, them clapping to my song. It was yeah, it was exhilarating. So that's kind of when my love for performing started, and then. Um, yeah, then I joined a children's choir, started taking singing lessons when I was 16. And then uh, I won an audition for Barbarina at the, in the Marriage of Figaro at the Dutch National Opera. And then I just fell in love with opera and yeah, never went back. Wow. So did you study opera at, at college or? Yeah, so, um, so I did that role and I was still in high school and then I went on to study at the Utrecht Conservatoire and then mm. I also did an exchange at the Royal College of Music of London. Ah, oh, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Who did you study with at the Royal College when you were there? Oh, with uh, Kathleen Livingston. Oh, wow. How amazing. Yeah, was... it was a really great experience. Yeah, so it was just for uh, like a term, for a semester? Yeah, yeah, it was for a semester. Yeah, it was in my third year or something. So in terms of your kind of performing career after leaving college, how did that kind of work for you? Did you go yeah. straight into that or take a break or how did it work? Well, it was not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> I mean, I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to graduate, go to opera studio, get a fest contract in Germany and like be a famous opera singer. That was like my plan. Yeah. <laughs> but then I kind of uh, realized when I, when I graduated that I started I really needed to work on my voice a bit longer uh, and also kind of find find my way. I guess we we get really caught up while studying sometimes in this kind of picture of a perfect opera singer or musician, I guess, any instrument, but to kind of try to fit into this certain box yeah. of what we think we should be and then lose a little bit sight of who we really are. And it's hard when you're doing a lot of auditions you know they take five or ten minutes and how much can you really show they want to like see okay who is this person but then you also have to really fit into this image of what they want all in a couple of minutes mm. so it took me a while to kind of figure out who i was and what i really wanted to say um and to yeah to find my way in the professional world i guess and then when I realized that I didn't have to have this perfect image of a singer, you know, on stage in a nice dress and kind of, yeah, not show who I am, I realized I could, I could be vulnerable and show who I really was. And that's when it kind of started, yeah, things started just coming. I mean, I think that's really like important, at least for me to hear, because I'm at that stage now where exactly like you just said like it feels like I worked in college towards this kind of 10-15 minute audition style kind of perfection outlook and now I'm sort of thinking gosh is that really the life I want like do I want my performance mindset to be that small 
And it sounds yeah. like you like you went through that as well. And out Absolutely. the other side have been able to incorporate like the whole of you within your performing. Yeah. And I think that's what, what really grabs the audience as well, mm. because they want to connect with who you are as a person. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's so important to focus on, you know, technical mastery, which is the main focus of conservatory education. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But then eventually we have to kind of see that as a means to express what we want to express as artists rather than having perfection be the end goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose as well, I'm just wondering when you graduated college, you know, going on to talk about the sort of motherhood thing, did you see becoming a mother as something within your, you know, your life soon after graduating or within the next sort of 10 years? Or did you really have this idea of a career being first and then becoming a mother and settling down? Or did you have yeah, a vision? What, well, I, so I met my husband when I was 19. So we got together really early on and I kind of it was clear that that was just the one. So in terms of like, who was I going to have children with? That was never really right. a question. And then, but uh, yeah, and I always knew like from when I was very little, I always wanted to be a mother. It was never, I never thought about, you know, maybe I should not have kids so that I can focus on my career. That for me, that was never an option. But I did think, you know, how am I going to do it? Because should I be already really established by the time I have a child so that I can easily take a break? Or should I not wait so long? And, you know, all these kind of rational ways to try to figure out what the best is, which for something huge like this, I don't think drawing up a pros and cons list is really the way to go for making yeah. a decision. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was definitely like worried, like how how is it going to impact my career? What are people going to think? Are they going to take me less seriously? Or am I not going to be so? Am I not going to be as as good a, a performer because I have less time to yeah. practice and my focus is going to change maybe and. Those are the things that I really found to not be true at all. Because there is this kind of stigma of it. I'm just really, really fascinated to hear about, like, what what was the process of having your son and then performing after that? What kind of, what what fears were kind of diminished or what were you surprised about? Well, so I had my son in April 2019, and I was performing a lot through the pregnancy. And I was finding that actually it really helped my voice because I kind of had this feeling of breath support mm. that was so much stronger because I could kind of lean on like my belly. And that really helped me, yeah, with my voice, even though, you know, of course I was tired and I couldn't really stand for a very long time anymore by the, by the end, but I, so I was performing up to like 35 weeks. So that's like almost the end. Wow. And, uh, and then I had him and my labor was really horrendous. It was, it took 26 hours and it was just, mm. yeah, really rough. And it was, it took me a while to recover from that, to even be able to like sit or walk to the other room, let alone like to the supermarket or something. So that was, that was really rough and I was really lucky that my husband was able to stay home for a, a month and also our parents all live nearby and they were really helping us out a lot and they still are by the way uh so yeah so when I recovered and then had my sh I had shows from 10 weeks after giving birth hmm. so I yeah when I was in the hospital I was like okay I really don't want a c-section because then I have to cancel my shows and these were like really big a big project that I worked towards uh, for a long time, which is Handle Ghost Tinder, uh, like a multimedia opera that I created together with a violinist, Anastasia Kozlova. And we worked for years really to kind of come up with a concept and we got a director and we wrote the show together with him. And then we also you know, got funding and arranged the bookings ourselves because we didn't have an agent at the time. And yeah, self-produced it and we had this whole big festival tour scheduled and I was like I am not going to cancel that mm. so in the hospital they were like okay maybe we should think about a c-section I was like no I need to do my shows 
and luckily I was able to deliver and, and recover in time uh, for, for being able to do that. So after about a month after giving birth, I started working on my voice again. And then uh, at six weeks, we, we started the tour. And it was, it was crazy. We did 30 shows in about a month. And often oh we will gosh. be performing multiple times a day. And at festivals, like it was, it was a show meant for audiences of like our generation. So it was also festival, like we had a big theater festival that's really, really popular theater festival that go, travels across the country here in the Netherlands. And uh, it's just all tents. So we had this tent and like, I was sitting in the back behind this disgusting curtain, like pumping milk and then rinsing the bottles in the toilet where the audience also went. And it was like trying to mm. not touch anything and have this like cool, oh man, it was, it was insane. Then I would come back at 1 a.m., like feed my baby, go to sleep, wake up at six. It, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. But then what I really noticed was that uh, actually I didn't sing worse than I would have if I would have had my whole like quiet and rest performance routine. Mm. And maybe I even sang better, even though I was tired and I was not sleeping much and I was producing a liter of milk a day and <laughs> it was still, <laughs> yeah, it just, it went super well. And it was so exhilarating to like be back on stage and kind of be in that professional environment again and to connect with the audience and with my colleagues after you know sitting at home and being like enveloped in that whole baby universe that you suddenly enter that you had no idea was so intense it just says so much about you and your kind of passion for your project that you know you wanted that to run alongside the early days of being a mother you know you wanted that to be (laughs) because I'm just thinking oh my god I would have cancelled that like well yeah I mean, if you would have put as much time and like yeah. blood sweat and tears into it then you would not have cancelled yeah, it it's true I think the thing I get from it the most which is so just so true and I'm like yes is this thing of like there is no kind of perfect performing scenario I suppose and we try and conjure like all these kind of even superstitions people have of like I've got to have this and then if I don't if I don't do this on the day, then I'm, you know, my performance will be rubbish. Or if it goes wrong, you have to think back in your mind about why. And it's actually what, what I'm thinking is like, you didn't have time to overthink, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, if we have time to focus on, you know, on focusing on like being calm and everything, we also have time to worry. And I just didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't worry. I just, you know, I just did it. And, and that's what it was if you don't have the the chance to focus on like each little note that could be less than perfect, then the number of perfect notes is probably going to be a lot higher. It's that classic thing, isn't it? Of like walking down stairs or something. And if you're focusing on every step, you're like more likely to trip. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Then if you exactly, just... it's exactly that. Yeah. And that brings, that brings about a lot of freedom on the stage. You know, we're always looking for this like sense of flow Mm. like that we really feel one with what we're doing and like not thinking about grocery lists or about things that could go wrong and that we have like lose that sense of time you know do do you ever experience that when you're performing yeah yeah that's what we're always kind of looking for and then I felt that because I was I wasn't able to focus on things that didn't matter that sense of flow was just there and I didn't have to like try to find it by creating all of these circumstances that mm. I thought were necessary, but really weren't. I'm just wondering if you have any advice for people that want this, but obviously you know, either don't want to go through a, a, a pregnancy to, <laughs> to find that. Or, I mean, I suppose, how do you find the kind of, how do you use the things in your life to find this kind of true freedom on stage? How do you... How do you think you find that regardless mm. of whether you have, you know, a baby? Yeah, or I think it's, it's definitely possible. I mean, what I really learned, and I think that's something that's can be applied whether or not you have a child, is that, you know, we really attach our sense of identity to our music making. So if we have a good day or a good month and we have lots of shows or whatever, then we feel great. And then if we look at our calendar and it's maybe empty or we had an audition and it didn't go well, then we really feel like shit about ourselves. Mm. And that's, 
that's the kind of thing that I think we need to separate a little bit. And it's really hard because music is our life, you know, it's not just like a job. But if we can separate our sense of value as a person from our music making, that really gives us a lot more freedom to, to also not be afraid to make mistakes. That's, I think that's key. Yeah. When you are not afraid to fail or to make mistakes, because that's just part of the process and you can take risks and you can learn so much more. Yeah. And uh, that comes from, yeah, from feeling like you're okay. Even if music making, if you have an off day or something doesn't go well, you're still you and it doesn't mean you're less, you're worth less as a person than you would be if you had a great performance day. It just, the, the one thing doesn't have to do with the other. Mm. And that's, I think, a, a mindset switch that is really helpful to make. Yeah. It's also a, a difficult one to make, I think, especially very. when when you've been brought up. I don't know about you, but like I was brought up in a very kind of rigid musical system in the UK with where it did feel like, you know, because of my peers and because of the people I was seeing every day who also attached their worth to music. It's like, naturally, I did that as well. And, of course. And it's it's making that leap of faith, isn't it? It's like, how many, how much more can I suffer in this <laughs> performance before I, before I just allow myself to fail? Allow yeah. myself to fuck up? Like, when am I going to let that happen? Like, how much yeah, more? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And a lot of us have that. I mean, I... Also, you know, being from a family of professional musicians, it's it's important. I, I felt it was really important for me to succeed as a musician, to be able to succeed as a human being. That's a really big burden to put on yourself. Because I was like, you know, if I'm not winning these opera auditions at, you know, 22, 23, like, what am I going to do? And I've like peaked at 16. Like, yeah. what's wrong with me? And and as soon as I was able to let that go, and this process started way before I had a, a, my son, because the decision to have him also came about because I was more in that space of trusting that whatever that my intuition would tell me what was right, and that I was not making decisions based on fear. So even have even deciding that I wanted to have a child was already a result of kind of making that mindset switch, which I, I worked with a like a coach, kind of therapy personal coach kind of mm. person. Um, and he really helped me kind of make that mindset switch. That's definitely something that I would recommend people to do if they're struggling, because we have this idea that artists must suffer. And yeah. really, we don't. We don't have to. Yeah. It's a really good point you make, actually, about going to therapy or coaching because that was actually I think for me as well the moment that I discovered I didn't have to put up with what the pressure I was putting on myself because for you know you finally have someone maybe that's not a musician or as an outsider mm. responding to your fears responding to your anxieties in such a rational way that that for me was so important to be like oh yeah like I don't actually have to do this to myself yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and, and also what I found interesting was because also my coach was not from the music world at all, but more from the corporate world. And the things that we as musicians think we are unique to our suffering are really the things, same things that everyone else is going through as well. Yeah, that is so <laughs> true. That is so true. Yeah, that's something I need to be careful about, I think, on this podcast as well. And, and in my life in general is I often kind of think like, oh, only classical musicians don't talk about you know mental health or oh it's you know it's so hard because we you know we have all these really awful kind of things in the way and it's like actually that is this is a problem with society in general that we Absolutely. struggle to be vulnerable you know <laughs> I can't just put all that onto classical music because it's not but there needs to be a voice within it as well and especially yeah. a voice within it to advocate for the graces of motherhood which you're doing and I just want to bring people's awareness to your blog which is newly started on your website and which I came across last night much to my excitement because I love blogs <laughs> <laughs> I just love the format I love the way people write in them and your writing in this blog is just beautiful like it almost brought me to tears at some point oh, thank you so much honestly it's incredible the piece you've written about becoming a mother 
And I really want to read like a bit of it out if you, if you wouldn't oh, be sure. too cringed because I just really like, I just really love the way you put this. Oh, so thanks. You write, becoming a mother has taught me that I'm stronger than I thought. Compared to growing a human being in my body, giving birth and surviving the first year of motherhood, any professional challenge feels like a piece of cake. It's also taught me to trust my intuition rather than worry about what people might think. Every day, my son is teaching me to be more calm, more confident and more open to whatever life throws my way. That's so sweet. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad that it was yeah, able to inspire you in some way. And yeah, yeah, I definitely intend to write more because I really love writing. And especially now during this time where there are not so many performances, it's nice to connect in that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I love listening to podcasts and stuff, but I, I know there are people like me as well who you get so, you get a piece of someone from a blog that you might not get from hearing them talk. I don't know. I just, I love the format and the way you've written it about actually the way that your son, like this child who like has no idea of what he's brought to your life. Yeah. You know, he has given... He's teaching you more than you would ever expect. Absolutely. It's funny because we think like we have to teach things to our children. But really, I I think all the things he learns, he just kind of learns just by observing what what we're doing in a really unconscious way. But he we really learned so much from how even even just, you know, we were we were at a barbecue the other day at our at our in our neighbor's garden, which we're allowed to do now. And um and there were, there's this little water fountain. There were two bugs in a little bowl. And he spent like 20 minutes just watching these bugs and being super excited by them. Oh. And I mean, how, and we spent so much time trying to like incorporate mindfulness practices and, and, you know, try to like pay attention to what we're doing. And there's this toddler who's two years old and spends, you know, 20 minutes looking at a couple of bugs. Isn't that just the best Buddhist mindfulness teacher that you can imagine? So woke. <laughs> that is incredible. That is incredible. I'm sure that's not the same for every child, but like, there is something to be said for like, we're taken away as we grow older, as we develop. We are taken away from our true like beingness. Yeah, and our absolutely. true worth is just like being able to sit and look at bugs for like 20 minutes and that being okay. Like, you're not going to be like, you should be being more productive with your time. Yeah, <laughs> like those doing? kind of things like that whole, I mean, I just keep thinking like, how can I make sure that he kind of retains some of that, mm. some of those qualities when we have a whole world that's built around just eradicating all of that, all of that, like just being who you are and not even thinking about what other people are thinking like he doesn't care he can he can lie down in the middle of the street screaming that he wants more raisins and he's not like gonna be like what are these neighbors thinking of me no he doesn't care about that <laughs> he just wants the raisins like yeah he's gonna do it till he gets them <laughs> I'm, i really want to go on now to talk about your album which is called this is not a lullaby released on may the 7th can you talk about the process of thinking I want an album for my son. I want these. And how did you choose the pieces? Like how was the whole process of, of this album? Started? Well, yeah, it all came about while he was maybe, Ezra was maybe about six months old and I had just fed him in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep. And then I went to look for some recital music because I had a really nice recital that I was invited to give. And, um, I found these, I was, I started to look for things for composers that had maybe a similar family background to mine, because I really love kind of incorporating my weird um, family history into my programs. I guess it kind of gives me a sense of belonging and roots or whatever. Uh, so I found a song cycle by Mstislav Weinberg, who was a Polish composer with a family history really similar to mine. Uh, and the amazing thing was that these songs just expressed exactly what I was going through during that time in my life, namely trying to get my baby to sleep. And then he finally fell asleep and then I couldn't sleep. So I was like, what, how is this possible that these songs are just so expressing exactly what I'm going through. And that whole so that whole cycle, it's called rocking the cradle, uh, rocking the child. Um, 
and it was on poetry by Chilean uh, poet Gabriela Mistral, who was really an advocate for children's and women's rights. And it was, yeah, it just touched me so much. And I, you know, I thought I have to really do something with this. And then in the process of preparing that recital, I realized that this just has to be my next album. And then I wanted to create a story about motherhood, but also about kind of family bonds, which of course become really important when you have a child and you start thinking about your own background and your family ties. And so I combined those songs with uh, five songs by my father, Joseph Malkin, who is a composer as well. And he has some really beautiful songs also about like children and parenthood in a kind of subtle way. Um, and then the song cycle, the Ahmatova songs by John Tavener, which I just find amazing. And I've always wanted to do them. It's for soprano and cello. Mm. And Anna Ahmatova is really one of my big heroes. I don't read that much poetry in my free time, but I have a book of her poetry like in my nightstand because it just really touches me amazingly. Mm. And she was a mother herself. She had a really complicated relationship with motherhood. And so it's kind of the, the idea is kind of that we start with the Weinberg songs, which are really about motherhood and that experience of the mother. And then we go to my father's songs, which are more about family ties. And then we go to the Ahmatova songs, which is kind of the mother finding her way back to herself and her inspiration and her identity aside from motherhood. Well, I had them in the back of my mind without any com concrete plans or anything. Mm. But then, yeah, when I found the Weinberg at all, it was like a puzzle that came together and really wanting to paint a more accurate picture of motherhood than what we see. You know, when we look at, you know, art or even music about motherhood, it's always like a lullaby and this almost holy, even holy mother sitting there with her baby, like rocking as if it's the only thing that she was ever meant to do. And it's it, as if it's something that's so natural to, to all of us. Mm -hmm. Whereas in real life, the transition to becoming a mother is really, it's really hard. It's, you know, it, it brings a lot of great things because it, it forces you to grow and that's a struggle. So I really wanted to tell this honest story that also tells something about me in you know, my family history and yeah, to, to kind of go against that ideal, idealized picture of motherhood that we often see. I think what's also really interesting about this album and what is just so beautiful is you've made it personal. And I don't think that's actually something that we see all that often in people releasing albums in the classical profession. It's often kind of like, oh, I put these songs together because these composers knew each other. Or, oh, I put these songs together because, you know, they they fit well together. Or, you know, it's not so often that you that you see an artist, a classical artist, taking an initiative in the way that you have and thought, how does this, how do these pieces fit within my story? I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't often hear about classical artists doing it in the way that you've done it. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something. Yeah, but usually it's, it's more like really repertoire-based yeah. choices, which, you know, there are so many valid reasons to, you know, tr tell a story. I mean, for me, it was just this time in my life that I really wanted to share with people. Um, and also, I'm always fascinated by just incorporating music from my cultural heritage because, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up as like first generation born in the Netherlands. Um, but I've always really missed having a lot of family, extended family around and and kind of felt like I really belonged. So maybe doing music from my own background has kind of made me feel a bit more connected to my roots in a way. But I really like telling stories, whether it's my own story or just a totally different story, like with Handel Goes Tinder. But I think we're really storytellers and in order to appeal to an audience that's a bit younger than the, than the like regular classical music audience that doesn't really have you say, oh, I'm going to do, you know, these Schubert songs on the poems of these and these 
19th century poets like no one's gonna know yeah what people can't relate to that and I really enjoy connecting with people on a personal level so I think being vulnerable and telling my own story kind of inspires other people to be also open and to kind of connect in a deep way it certainly does and I just want to say thank you for for creating this you know for having the vulnerability to create this because it can't have been easy to put your all of your story out there about the ups and downs of being a mother and well I'm really I'm really glad and I hope that some people can kind of find some comfort in it as well so can you talk about like the release of the album itself how does it work how do people find out about it and how do people you know join in if they want to yeah so it's gonna the official release is on may 7th uh so next week uh friday may 7th and we're gonna have a virtual release party on my facebook live on facebook live so on my page hannah malkin soprano and also people can find me on instagram hannah malkin soprano and um i also have some nice giveaways for new followers and uh, yeah, I just really love to connect with people. So I'm also really happy to hear what people think about the album. On, from May 7th, it's going to be on all the major streaming platforms. And uh, it can be ordered as well um, through my website. And yeah, but if people want to reach out and tell me what they think or share their own stories, then I'm, I'm really happy to uh, get into conversations. Amazing. Um, I'd really like as well for you to talk now about... We've kind of touched on it a few times. If you could talk about the the project that your son came along you with you <laughs> to, this handle goes Tinder. You know, what what was this whole project? Can you just talk a bit about it? Yeah, this is like my big musical baby that I'm incredibly proud of. So I'm really glad to talk about it. It's uh, it's a show that I created. So together with, with uh, Anastasia Kozlova, and we were just sitting brainstorming one night like in a bar just thinking you know how can we make something that really um yeah that we can connect to people of our own age and I was at the time working I, I was doing um I was covering a role at the National Opera in uh Handel's Ario Dante and I was really into these Handel roles uh and not the main characters who have this like noble journey that they're going on, but more the secondary characters who kind of have the more fun music and who surprisingly often go through a lot of the same love life issues that we go through while dating on Tinder. Well, not me personally, because I wasn't single, but like all the stories that I heard my friends telling, you know, you meet a guy and he cheats on you, or you meet a guy and he turns out to already have a girlfriend, or you meet a guy and then you go on a date and then it turns out that he really just uh, is looking for someone to mooch off of and take advantage of. So we, yeah, we decided to combine all of these different handle characters with their music and stories into one uh, Dorinda based on character from Handel's Orlando. And she goes on Tinder and meets all of these different guys on dates. That's the concept. And then yeah, there's a big screen on the stage where people can see what, what Dorinda is seeing on her phone. So me, uh, so like all of her dates on Tinder and the Tinder profiles and the WhatsApp conversations and the passive aggressive email apologies <laughs> she gets from her ex-boyfriend. So all of these kind of things. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's how we kind of wanted to tell a modern story with the music of Handel. That is so clever. That is like, oh my gosh, how did like, I not think of that? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That is so cool. And what was the reception like from people? Yeah, it was really, it was really amazing. I mean, we, we were scheduled, uh, we were able to, to get booked at a couple of festivals and some of them were more standard classical music festivals and some were really just not classical music at all. And it was more just general festival audience. And both of those groups really just loved it. I mean, they were just laughing so hard at the jokes and what really helped was our, our director and writer, he, he's really from the comedy, stand-up comedy world. And he just really, yeah, we really incorporated so many great jokes also with, with the Italian translation and the like Tinder profiles. And I mean, yeah, the audience was, they really loved it. And it, it was funny, we had this tent and the 
the concept of this festival was you had to like as artists go around the festival grounds to like promote your show and like get people to come mm. and then we did that the first night we played a piece just like outside of our tent and then people started flocking to it and there was this huge line and then the rest of the nights we were just sold out every time before we could even like leave our tent area so yeah it was it was crazy we really had to turn a lot of people away and they were just oh afterwards gosh. thanking us like how they had never seen an opera before but this really was amazing or that they thought opera was boring but this really changed how they how they thought about it and that was really exactly what we wanted to achieve that is so cool did you have any kind of worry about letting go of like the the core of the operatic kind of side of it or did you think you you incorporated it quite seamlessly? yeah that was something that was really important to us was to not lose the essence of the music and mm. to not like dumb it down in a way yeah so we really wanted to challenge the audience as well because you know, it's it's not one of Handel operas are not one of the mo pieces that everyone knows. There are certain pieces of classical music that everyone already recognizes, but this, you know, Baroque opera, it's quite a niche even within mm. classical music. So that's something that we really sought to balance between, you know, not having endless recitative or repetitions of like our eight-minute arias, but also not making it so short and. Um, kind of compromising that we lose the authenticity so we I think we did a pretty good job balancing those mm. and that also made the show suitable for more for the more like standard classical music audiences where we kind of also adjust like for some festivals we made the show a bit longer and for this theater festival it was slightly shorter so we, we oh, also really? kind of adapted it as well but next year we're actually going to the International Handel Fest, uh, Festival in Göttingen in Germany, which is oh, wow. one of the major early music festivals. So I'm really, really curious how it's going to go over with yeah. more conservative <laughs> Handelian, you know, <laughs> German uh, audience. So I that's going to be a really yeah. fun experience, I think. That's incredible that you, you you can adapt it. You know, I think that's brilliant. And I also love the idea that you, you know, there's this whole kind of thing, isn't there, of like, oh, we have to play... I'm trying to think of, you know, Beethoven's fifth for people to understand or whatever. But actually what you're saying is so great. It's like you don't have to patronise a regular audience that yeah. doesn't know classical music. You know, they, they can have the, the capacity to understand it if you present it in a context that's kind of digestible. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. I, love, I think that's so important and so exciting. And I think that's like the future. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm sure there's also a place for just like full, fully staged yeah. four hour operas. And I love doing those as well. And I think there's, it's not one or the other. And it's really important. I mean, some people who are more conservative people in the classical music world are kind of upset by these kind of initiatives. But I think they can exist side by side. And there's a market mm. for each of them. But I'm really convinced that the market for classical music is so much bigger than, you know, currently, and that we should really find ways to to engage with audiences in new ways because you know ultimately what we want is to touch as many people as possible with this amazing music yeah I also got one more question which is kind of tying everything together and, and that is I mean I you speak about how you know doing this handle project alongside having your son you found that your voice was so much freer and even though it was really intense and everything everything just kind of fitted into place. I'm wondering if that was, was that kind of the first time you had done that many concerts kind of close together? Or had you ever had like another situation like that? Uh, that was definitely the most intense one. I mean, I've, mm. I had like some shows where I had a couple in a day. I, I did one where it was two days, like six shows in two days in the Concertgebouw for like a children's performance but this was definitely the most intense one because it was not only two or three shows a day, but also six days in a row. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it was quite intense and it was, yeah. Because I'm just thinking that, like, there's there's a lot to be said for, like, if it's just a one standalone performance, the kind of anxiety around it is so much greater. Whereas I think if you have the opportunity, like you did, to sort of do so many shows then I suppose as you go along, it's like you just don't have time either to think about 
the intricacies of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think it's really great to get into that kind of routine. Mm. Uh, and that's something that maybe people who work in musical recognize more because they do so many shows, like one after the other. Whereas, I mean, when do you ever do like 30 shows of the same classical music piece? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't yeah, exactly. happen that often. So yeah, I think it's definitely really valuable to have that kind of routine. But also I don't wanna make it seem like we should all be having these intense performance mm -hmm. schedules because I mean, it's not something that I would be doing you know, every, if every month was like that, I think I would get burned out. Oh yeah, totally. Point. So it's important to kind of keep in mind that we do need time to rest. And, you know, I'm not really not saying that we should be just all working harder because <laughs> I think we're working hard, pretty hard always um, just from our internal motivation. But yeah, there's definitely an advantage to, to being really in that kind of routine. Yeah. Cause yeah, it has to, like, you can't sustain anxiety for that long either you really like, can't no you just don't have a yeah it's just not possible <laughs> it's not oh gosh this has been like just so wonderful to talk to you Hannah and I am I have every best wish for your um, album release and everything thanks so much Hattie it's been really a pleasure talking with you that's no problem and how can people um keep in touch with you if they want to like what is your Instagram, social media things. Yeah, so my Instagram is Hannah Malkin Soprano uh, and Facebook uh, as well. Um, so however, yeah, those are probably the easiest ways. And then my website, hannahmalkin.com also has all of my performance schedules. And, and also, the blog. Yeah, the blog. <laughs> yes, the blog. Absolutely. Now I'm going to have to write more. <laughs> you absolutely will because, I, you know, I'm going to be checking because I just loved it. Honestly, please read the blog, the, the first blog that's on Hannah's website because it is amazing, and I think it'll tie in the whole podcast very nicely if people people finish off with reading that. Oh, <laughs> I would like that, you. please. That's all. That's your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Go read the blog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and if people ever want to, you know, talk about their experiences or ask me questions, they're always welcome to send me a message. Oh, that's that's brilliant to hear. I I urge people to do that as well because it's really great to yeah to have that kind of back and forth, especially around your album being released. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. And I really look forward to hearing how it all goes next week. Thank you.